0: I believe this with every fiber of my being. I think in 20 years, we're going to look at social media and say, what the were we thinking giving (laughs) this to 12-year-old kids? You are now
1: listening to The Living Numbers and Tony Rambles, Rambles, Rambles and The Living Numbers Podcast. All right, here you go. You ready? Do it. This is the Living Numbers Podcast where everyone is interesting if you ask the right questions. My name is Tony Rambles and I am your host. Today I have a guest who has lived a full life basically before 40 years old. So he's got so much more to go. So here we go. Hailing from Big Ben, Wisconsin. He earned his degree in finance, Spanish, and management. That's our first triple major here on the podcast. He was in the top quartile of his cohort as an equity research associate while working at financial firm Robert W. Baird. He owns three Anytime Fitness health clubs, last time I checked, and four you Break iFix cell phone repair stores and a tech startup all of which have won numerous honors and awards. He then founded Humans First out of his deep appreciation and love for people. How nice, Rob. To provide a -a one-of-a-kind consulting experience that analyzes people's efficiency and energy by paying attention to their technology mindfulness. He lets his curiosity guide conversations, the question asker, voracious reader, competitor, and optimizer of the four-day work week. I present the Rob Kreechek. I hope I said your last name right.
0: Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, Tony. That was such a great introduction. I really appreciate that. Appreciate all the research. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm super happy to be here. Very grateful to chat with you and the listeners today.
1: Yeah, I'm glad to have you on. And, you know, sometimes when you get people and you start do this research, and you see how, how full of their lives are. I think that is the thing that invigorates me to like, man, I'm, I'm excited. Like, I want to ask about this. I want to ask about this and this, uh, but, but one of the main things that stuck out to me, which is where we're going to start is the four day work week. And so that's going to be our first number four mm. day work week. And so not too long ago, I saw an article online and it talked about the four-day work week. I'm pretty sure it was over in Europe somewhere. Mm -hmm. So what in your childhood led to the avocation of the four-day work week? So here, think about the relationships that you've had, the experiences that you've had. What are the things that you look back to in the past that triggered like, huh, you know what? I think this four-day work week thing is going to work.
0: Yeah, well, super appreciate your question, Tony. And, you know, I I was super, very, very fortunate to have really great, very supportive and loving parents. And they just, you know, they, I couldn't have asked for better parents, like really grateful. They, you know, my, my dad went to every single sporting event that I ever did for any sport ever, right? Like every track meet, every wrestling match, every football game. And my mom was our full-time caretaker. So my mom her job was to raise us kids, my sister and myself. And, you know, that was also such a great, um, you know, a great situation. And I'm super grateful for her because she obviously, you know, did so many things for us raising us. And so both of my parents really emphasized the importance of family and us being supportive and being there for each other. And, you know, what's interesting is if you look at the family structure and what's happening to society today in America, uh, oh, about about 30 or 40 years ago, many more women started to go into the workforce, which of course I'm fully in of and I think is a good thing. But one of the mm. unintended side effects that we haven't thought about as a society is that now that there's two parents working in many households or almost all households, obviously there's less time spent yep. between kids and parents. It's just, it's just how it is. And the reason that moms are going into the workforce is because we're essentially a consumerist society and we want, you know, we want to buy all these things, right? We want to buy a big house. We want to buy a nice car. We want to buy shit. But we, what we haven't thought of as a society is, well, have we eclipsed the point where, you know, we are doing good for our families by spending all this time working and buying more stuff. I believe the answer Mm. is we're not, we're not serving our families well by, working all this extra time just so we can buy more shit we don't really need and so my you know i think the thing that really resonates with me from my childhood was the importance of family and spending time with the people you care about and balancing that with you know making a living right and and because obviously we need to work we need to pay bills we need to make money because money makes us allows us to do things and buy things but i'm here to tell people or, or or i guess not to tell people but to bring some awareness to the fact that you know this concept of a five-day work week that has been that's almost a century old. It first came up in 1926, but with Henry Ford and the assembly line. And so yep. this concept is ver- literally almost a century old. And look at how many things have changed during that time. And so I believe that it's time to think about this differently. We don't have to be working five days a week. We can work less, accomplish the same amount of stuff, get paid the same and spend more time with the people that matter most to us. That to me is what's really really powerful.
1: I agree and there are so many structures that we have in America that haven't changed in such a long time even though our world is tremendously different. We were talking before the show about about dating and mm-hmm. just how 10 years ago dating was totally different as far as you know the apps and how people meet and so you talked about you and your wife and how you met and i talked the same thing, but our world has changed. I work in an industry in education where we've been doing things the same way for so long and we haven't updated our processes at all. So where did you start as far as process? How did these things work when you came up with the, well, not came up with the four-day work week? I think it's something people have talked about, but when you started to put like a plan in place, where'd you start?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I guess I can start with a little story about myself and it can kind of help you understand how I got thinking about all this, you know, what I call technology mindfulness. And so, you know, I, one of my favorite books of all time was the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss. And that book came out in 2008. You know, I really think it completely changed the self-help industry and how people thought about productivity and, and work and retirement and money and time and all these different things. It was an amazing book, right? And so I read that book and I just kind of became obsessed with, you know, how I use my time and my energy. And I thought I was really productive, right? Like I thought I really had this down and that I was, you know, using my time wisely. But, um, you know, one of the things that I also kind of realized over the last several years is that I have ADHD. And I think that this was kind of something that was undiagnosed, but I probably had it my whole life. And so it's much mm-hmm. easier for me compared to the average person to kind of get derailed and be distracted, right? You know, whatever, that's fine. And and so I was, you know, I was an entrepreneur. I had all these businesses and, and I was, mm-hmm. I had no structure to my day. And I would just begin the day and mm-hmm. I would think I would be productive and get a lot done. And, you know, there was a lot of days where I was, it got to the end of the, the day and I was like, man, I feel, I feel exhausted. I feel like I did a lot of stuff. But if I wrote down a list of the things that I actually accomplished, the list would be right. very short. It would be very, <laughs> very short. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, this doesn't make any sense. I have read so many things about productivity and using my energy and I'm yet I'm accomplishing nothing. What the hell is going on? And then right. I started doing all these experiments on myself that I was telling you about earlier. And I, there are hundreds, hundreds of them. Like, maybe, hey, maybe if I use this one technology tool differently, what does that do? Or maybe- Yeah, if I like arrange...
1: what? Give us give us some insight. What? Uh, give us a couple of those experiments that you did. Just a few.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, one of them is that I decided, uh, and again, like this, even within this, you know, we'll call it the tech mindfulness space. This blows people's mind. I have completely deleted all email off my phone. Completely. I don't have okay. an email app on my phone whatsoever. There's no way for me to check it. And so that to me was one of the things that absolutely changed my entire relationship with my phone. Not only was I not checking it all the time, but I just, I didn't feel the need to go into it and mindlessly go to the email inbox just to like check something. Right. And again, like I was very prone to do that as someone with ADHD. And so what I, yeah, yeah, you, you're, you're feeling me, right? So, then what I realized is I if I could funnel all of my mail checking activity to just my desktop computer, where I'm way more proficient and way more productive, not only do I not have to check my phone as often, I'm not as, I'm not as anxious because I'm not worried about checking my phone or my email, but I also actually spend way, way, way less total time in my email as a whole. And so I'm saving time. So like, it made me less stressed. It made me less anxious. It made me check my phone less, which made me be more present and allowed me to save a ton of time. Like that's a win, 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 like a, you know, win yeah. across the board. And so like, that was a huge experiment that I think went really well. And to this day, I still don't have my email on my phone at all.
1: Nice. Nice. I have a, a principal and he never wanted to get like a new school phone, like a smartphone, and. Kind of for that reason, he's like, I need for when I want to do work, like, this is specific to work. I don't want all of this stuff on my phone always coming at me all the time, and now you feel the need to go at it all the time, and so it's this back and forth. So, that's you're not alone with that one, Rob. You're not alone.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, and you know, what's interesting is, um, I I could kind of explain to you why I believe technology is like the anti meditation right so let me uh, let me just explain so for humans with meditation when we meditate right any human not just me in particular when any human meditates one of the main benefits that they get is that meditation brings us into the present it allows us to be here and now which then by definition doesn't make us or allow us to uh, worry about the future or ruminate about the past so this sense of presence is very helpful for humans when we meditate. Well, when you think about what technology does, it is the exact opposite of that. It does the opposite. When we get a notification on our smartphone or we you know, check our email, what happens is we are pulled out of the present and we're sucked mm-hmm. into this digital world. And so all these things that technology does are really pull us out of the present and put us in this digital world where we do ruminate about the past or we do worry about more likely with technology we we worry about the future and mm-hmm. therefore it's so if we're doing that to ourselves hundreds and hundreds of times a day we're pulling ourselves out of the present many hundreds of times a day it's not surprising that that would be a bad thing and again is like the opposite of meditation
1: right and so now because our minds are always going here and there i have this thing like when 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 i'm with someone or when we are There's an event happening. Right. A couple of weeks ago, I was at my uncle's up in uh, Connecticut and we went to New York and all of this stuff. And when I'm with people like I do not want to have my phone out and taking pictures and that stuff, like I understand the moment you want to capture the moment, you want to share it uh, and you want to be able to, to look back at those things. And that's that's great. But. I am not the person that is constantly like, hey, you know, hey, let's take a selfie here or let's take a picture here and all of that stuff. I feel like I'll take a limited amount of time. Okay, okay, this is a good spot to let's, hey, let's take some pictures. Let's get it all out the way here now. And then for the rest of whatever we're doing, let's just try to, like you said, be in the moment, take it in, enjoy our time together. Because you know, just like I know, once you take that, that phone out, and your intentions may be just to take a picture. And now what are you doing? You're on Instagram, you're on Facebook, you're checking your email. You sucked it's, in. It's, it's it's all coming at you again and again mm-hmm. and again.
0: <laughs> so I, I'm really glad, Tony, that you know it sounds like you have a good level, you know, a, a level of awareness and mindfulness about these things, right? And I feel like the average person does not. And that's really the whole point of my company is to generate more awareness for the average person so that. They can decide, you know, hey, maybe I'm doing this thing and it's not serving me or my family well, and, and possibly change their behavior. Um, you know, I'll, I'll cite a study that I heard about that I think is, you know, perfectly illustrates what we're talking about. So you might think to yourself, oh, okay, well, if I'm like, let's say you and I are grabbing dinner together and you put your phone face down on the table in front of you, right? You'd be like, oh, well, mm-hmm. my phone's face down. You know, I'm not going to be distracted by it. But what this study showed is that even when a phone is face down and turned off, Mm -hmm. the feelings of empathy, trust, and closeness between two people are reduced substantially. And so what's happening is, and again, like this is all subconscious. It's not like you're even aware that this is happening, but when you place your phone face down in front of you, you're subconsciously thinking yourself every time you look at it or glance at it, Oh, is there something there I need? Is there What's something there I should on? be checking? Right. <laughs> and then that's not allowing you to be present with that person in front of you. And right, so it's, right. it's like, for instance, when we're on this podcast right now, I have my phone mm-hmm. face down and turned off and like out of view. And it's like an arms two arms length away from me. I can't even reach it. Right. If I wanted to. And like, I do that on purpose so that right. I'm not even thinking about it when we're having this conversation
1: yeah and I think, depending on who you're with if the if both people can consciously make that decision to go, Okay, hey, let's just put the phones away, let's be here with each other. Did the study talk about that? How much difference that makes if they communicate those things
0: um you know it it didn't that I remember, but uh, you know what i what I do think is interesting is you know there is a, obviously a social component to this, right so one of the things that I kind of say to someone, and and again, like I try to do it gracefully, but um, I heard this phrasing and I think it works well. If someone pulls out their phone in front of me, like when we're in mid conversation, and I'm kind of think they're being rude, I'll say something like, "Oh, I see you're on your phone. Is everything okay?" Because then oh, they're yeah, like, there you go. Then they're like. Oh, oh, oh no, everything's fine. I'm just, you know, checking whatever. Or I'm, you know, then then like it's a it's a not so subtle cue to them to like, hey, you know, we're in this conversation. Can you come back to the conversation, please? Um, and I don't it's do that. It's not subtle, that often. but it's
1: also not rude. I like that. I like that, Rob.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: I thought about um this um conversation that a friend of mine and I had yesterday. We went and got coffee, and I <laughs> Because I'm mindful about it, like you said, when I'm with people, I try to make it a point not to get distracted by my phone. So at one point, I guess my phone's like buzzing and stuff. And she's like, hey, like your phone is <laughs> so you got somebody calling you or something. I'm like, oh, I didn't even, I didn't even realize, I didn't even recognize it because I'm like, it, we're just having conversation. Oh. We're talking. It's about us right now. Mm-hmm. And so I, I mean, I picked the phone up and I just I kind of looked through it and I I put it back down. But Sometimes when we're not even worried about the phone, that's when we're able to really connect with people and have meaningful
0: conversations. Well, your, your, your example brings up another interesting study. And by the way, I love data and studies and all that stuff, you know, with, with me uh, being interested in technology, mindfulness, I've read over 2000 articles and studies. So like I have a study kind of for everything. Wow. Right. Um, but one of the things that fo- I found interesting was there was a study about um Uh, you know, university students using laptops in the classroom to take notes, right? Or like, just for whatever, like using laptops during a lecture. And what they found, so they had two groups, one group didn't have any laptops, right? And the other group had laptops in it. And what they found is that even for the people who were not using a laptops in the laptop group that were sitting behind the laptop users, the laptop use distracted the other people who weren't using laptops. And so it actually, your tech use, believe it or not, can take away from the attention of other people in a, in a conversation or even in a lecture. And so the, at the conclusion of the study, they, de- they decided to divide the lecture into two sections. One is no laptop use at all. And the other one was all laptop users. So that if the mm. people wanted to be distracted with the laptop, they could be distracted over there. But then the people who weren't using a laptop would not be distracted by the laptop users. So wow. your tech use can affect other people's attention, even if they're not using it, which is Definitely. again, like think about how often that happens with your like cell phone use. Then it's crazy.
1: Oh, Rob, why, <laughs> why, why did you have to read my mind there? Some kids, I mean, it's just, if you got one phone in class, it's like you got 30 phones in class. Cause everybody's mm. worried about the phone. Ugh, I, that's a battle that teachers are still fighting. Some people have, figured out how to I think the people who are who can be really strict who by nature have that kind of very uh, I don't militant kind of seems like overblown but they're very structured in their attitude yeah but for me that's not natural like I'm not a naturally super structured everything hey everybody phones down heads up I'm a little more laissez-faire so to speak with how I run my classroom now Once things get out of hand or disrespectful, which they rarely do, honestly, uh, then, you know, you know, you step in and you do your thing. But I mean, for the most part, I like to allow people the the freedom and the latitude to uh, get their things done and then be able to, you know, do what they need to do. But, man, the phones is an ongoing battle for all teachers. It's always a thing.
0: Do, do you mind if I because I was reading a little bit about this the other day, do you mind if I explain the psychology behind all this you know what we call task switching, which I think is exactly relevant for what you just said for for you phone do, use in the classroom yeah, so here's what happens right so let's pretend you're you're um well, yeah we'll just take as a, an example as a student, right so let's pretend you're a student in the classroom and you're checking your phone all the time, and it could be for different reasons right it doesn't really matter what the reason is, but the point is that every time you check your phone, what happens is your brain uses your short-term memory to focus on whatever you're doing in the phone, right? Whether it's a Snapchat message, whether it's mm-hmm. a text, whether it's searching the internet, it doesn't matter. But you're using short-term memory to essentially process or you know do the stuff on the phone. Well, obviously, if you're using your short-term memory for that, you're not using your short-term memory to figure out what's going on in the classroom and memorize that information or understand it. And so when you go from listening to lecture for one minute and then texting for 30 seconds and then listening to yep. lecture for another minute and then Snapchatting for 30 seconds, your short-term memory keeps on changing between those two like those two um, situations. And then mm-hmm. you're not ever able to really take that short-term, like the information that you would have got in short-term memory from the lecture and encode it in the long-term memory, then store right. it away for future use. And so it sounds very simplistic to say, but I literally think that constant smartphone use is making our entire, an entire generation of kids dumber because they're not able to encode long-term information because they're constantly switching between different, you know, different modes of, uh, of, or different situations in the classroom. Right. Is there,
1: they're literally distracted. Like that is the epitome of being distracted. (laughs) So you've talked about like all of your research and obviously there is tons of it, which you have so eloquently stated with your facts. My brother would love this conversation because when we talk sports, like we're always looking at numbers, facts, Mm -hmm. draft class and all that kind of stuff. I know you're a big sports guy yourself being from Wisconsin. Okay, (laughs) we'll talk about that later. You have run all of these different businesses and you have your own, um, website and things that you do. So our, our number here is 22, which we're going to save it for just a little bit later, but I want you to talk about your businesses. Like how did you get into the, the phone business and going from finance to then opening up these different businesses and doing your own thing?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, you know, I, I started my career as a sell side equity analyst at a, at a, you know, Wall Street firm called Robert Baird headquartered in Milwaukee. And, um, you know, I'm also a CFA charter holder for those who understand finance, it's a, you know, very difficult certification to get and it took me like five years of tests to, you know, be able to, to finally pass all wow. of them. Yeah, it was, it was really, it was actually pretty brutal. Um, but you know, I really, really have a ton of respect for the firm and, and what they do and the way, you know, how much integrity they have. And I learned a lot at that job, but I just, and I, and I researched uh, medical device and pharmaceutical companies. So it kind of helped me understand how, you know, wall street works, how to ask good questions, how to talk to CEOs and CFOs. But I just didn't feel like I was directly help, helping people enough in that role. Mm. And so while I was doing this 60 hour a week day job, I started my first business kind of quote on the side, which was, you know, still a full-time job in and of itself. And so I opened my first anytime fitness health club. And that's the, you know, one of the world's uh it's the world's uh, largest 24-hour co ed fitness chain. And um, you know, once that health club was profitable and I was covering my living expenses, I quit my day job and then I traveled around the world and I went to Europe, Central America, and South America with a backpack. And then nice. I came back and um you know, I ended up buying two more health clubs. And, uh, you know, I really, really liked Anytime Fitness. I feel like it was a great brand really run well. And then, uh, but I kind of saw that the business model, in my opinion was past its prime. And so I did end up selling those and I, uh, invested in four, you break, I Fix cell phone repair stores. Again, another franchise. I love technology. I also love helping people with it. And then, um, I also felt like that business model was kind of past its prime and I sold those and then i had my uh, a technology startup to help small businesses um increase sales online and take sales away from amazon and then the <laughs> very last thing was my current consultancy humans first to help people with technology mindfulness and so I, I really i think the thing that really drove me was to help people with entrepreneurship and also to not have to i guess just not have to tell have people tell me what to do right cuz not that i uh I don't know. I'm not a, I'm probably not the best employee. I'm a much better entrepreneur than an employee, <laughs> in my opinion.
1: I know sometimes, and I was, uh, I feel like I got a story for everything. Uh, I was, yeah,
0: I like stories with,
1: uh, I'm on a, I sing at my church. We uh, have a praise hey. team and uh, we were at rehearsal last night, ironically. And I was talking to our our captain who was sitting far off because she was like, oh, well, I had COVID. I'm out of my quarantine days, but, you know, I want to be safe or whatnot. And so she asked a question or something. I said, whatever you say, captain, that's what we're going to do. And then somebody was like, well, you always being a (laughs) (laughs) co-captain. Nice. Like, I always have something to say. And, you know, when you feel like you have experience that's been validated, Then you go, well, I kind of have some, I have a way that I can help. And sometimes, depending on where you work, nobody cares about your opinion. They don't want to hear what you have to say. They don't want to know your cool ways. They don't even want to know how you can make the company better. They just want you to do your job and go home. Mm -hmm. And so I think that ties directly into what you're talking about. Me and my sister was talking about that, who she is huge into entrepreneurship. Like she wants to have her own business, she does not want to work for anyone, and she's in that same mind frame as you, Rob. Where you go, yeah, I could be over here and I could do a job and I could do it exceptionally, but I think I'm better. Said ser- no, I know I'm better served having my my own business where I can run things the way that I want to run it, and then make that same difference and impact, and maybe even more.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 it, you know, I like the way that you put that, Tony. And one of the other. I guess, guiding principles for me, you know, with my life is that I don't want to be on my deathbed and have any regrets. I do not want to be, you know, 90 years old and always wonder what if like, Oh, what if I would have traveled around the world with a backpack? What if I would have opened my anytime fitness? What if like, I don't want to have any what ifs. And so, you know, when I opened my first business, I had saved $100,000 of my own money. That wasn't my parents money. That wasn't money Mm -hmm. I got as a gift. Like, I saved that and busted my ass um, for well four down, years wow. at my job to save that money. And when I opened my first business, I thought to myself, I am, obviously I wouldn't want this, but I am totally okay if I never see a penny of this money again, because I had mentally committed to putting it all into the business and knowing that it was a risk that I would never see it. And, and I was like, I'm okay with that risk. I, yeah. I, I could live with that because I don't want to wonder what if.
1: Man, I agree because like you only have one life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you don't ever want to look back on things that you, like you say, and say, "What if?" Like, man, I wish I would have did that. That's why you know I started this this podcast. It was something that I was passionate about about being able to connect with people and to have people share their stories. And it and it evolves over time. Like you opened up these anytime fitness, and you're like, "Okay, like I'm kind of done with this. So let's get out of here and let's move on to the next thing." So you you talked about something earlier with having ADHD. Mm -hmm. How did that factor into these different businesses that you had? I don't want to ask, did it help or did it hurt? But how did you have to, I guess, work with it or work around it?
0: Well, it's interesting, right? So I have a a lot of entrepreneurial friends and one of my buddies runs a, um, it's like a I, I I don't know if it's like a consultancy, but like, a, a, we'll just say a company to help entrepreneurs who have mental health problems, right? Or, or mental mm. health concerns, we'll say, right? And one of the statistics he said is that the incidence of ADHD amongst entrepreneurs is, I can't remember exactly if it's like 5X or 10X, the normal population, but it's like dramatically higher, right? And I don't think that's an accident because if you look at what ADHD is, in my opinion, it's It's not just that you're just you're distracted, but it's also that you really super hyper focus on the things that you really like. So it kind of causes you to move from you don't like you just dismiss it right away, which is fine. But then the stuff that you really like, you're just like, oh, like you just put all it's like you're just putting all your energy into that thing. And Mm. that I think is, is a good thing for entrepreneurship. So like when I find something that I really like, I just do, I like just go crazy with it. Like I research it. I, I just like throw myself at it. And I think that's one of the reasons why my businesses have been successful because like I'm all in on them. And, um, you know, I, I, so I actually think from an entrepreneurial standpoint, ADHD can be beneficial. It totally can be beneficial. But you do also have to be aware of some of the drawbacks, which can be, you know, getting distracted by other shiny objects from time to time, and then thinking that it's a good idea to pursue them. It generally isn't a good idea. And I am I, again, I'm guilty of that myself. My wife kind of helps rein me in a little bit when I get too excited about something else. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you, wife. I mean, we, we need our helpmates, right? We talk about our wives, yeah, man. They, yeah. they help us in so many different ways that we can't yeah. even begin to quantify.
0: Totally. Uh,
1: you, talk, you talked about like when you find something, you dive into it all the way. Uh, this wasn't something that I thought about discussing. But when you said that, I'm like that when I discover things that I, that I like, not necessarily businesses, but specifically in music. Like when I find an artist and I'm like, oh, this person is kind of good. Mm-hmm. I'm checking what you released one, two, three, 10 years ago. Nice. Like I went back and I listened to every Earth, Wind & Fire album that was, that was made, studio albums. Nice.
0: Yeah.
1: Because I'm such a big fan of them. And so when I got Spotify, I'm like, wait a second, I could go check back all of this stuff. And so mm-hmm. I did. And, but I've done that with numerous artists, gone back and listened to all their stuff. So what other areas do you see that happening for you, not just in business, but maybe just recreational things?
0: Oh, God. I mean, literally, like if you, again, like if you ask some of my good friends or my wife, like the things that I have researched ad nauseum, like almost anything in health and fitness, but specifically nutrition, CrossFit mm-hmm. or functional training, um, we'll just say different eating styles of eating or different, uh, like different eating regimens. I've also uh, heavily researched psychedelics, because again, my background as a stock analyst was researching pharmaceuticals and medical devices. So I've super heavily researched psychedelics, which I think are, you know, the future of medicine, quite possibly and the future of mental health. Um, I've also really heavily researched, you know, all this, I'll call it like time and productivity stuff. Um, I've also heavily researched and, you know, I was in investing and finance stuff for a long time. Um, I've also, you know, really love researching technology because I built my first computer in middle school, right? Because so like, I love technology. I think it's a great thing and does great things for humanity. And so, you know, you look at all these different areas, right? Like they're very, they're pretty widely different, but I really like them all. And I really, you know, feel like I I know quite a bit in, in all of them. And so, I guess I would also say, sorry, well, uh, so, and related to humans first psychology and sociology, really like mm-hmm. su- I'm super, you know, I would say like most of my research for humans first has actually been into human psychology, which to me is absolutely, actually, in my opinion, the most interesting thing to research because humans are endlessly fascinating and they're, and we're always changing too.
1: Yes. And you can look at it generationally. Mm -hmm. When you just kind of cross-reference and compare, you're like, man, just X amount of years ago, 10 or 20 or 30 years ago, like, 1990 was not that long ago. But you couldn't be more different if you met a person that was born in 1990 or was a teenager in 1990 Mm -hmm. or was 30 years old in 1990. Like, that's in that I think that is one of those areas where a lot of people are interested. They don't necessarily want to go to all of the school to become a psychologist, but a lot of people are interested in psychology. I find, and Mm -hmm. I have been as well or am as well because humans, we are just so different.
0: Well, it's one thing that I, I was recently researching is you know, what are the milestones for, uh, like big technological, uh, changes in our society. And okay. if you look at this, so, uh, 1999 was the first year that the 50% of the U S had an internet connection. Then 2006 was the next year when 50% of the U S had a broadband connection. And then 2012 was the year where 50% of the United States had a smartphone. So think about that. We went from basically, wow. Almost no internet, right, or like very little internet in 1999. To everyone had the internet in their pocket in this in a series of 13 years. That's fast. That is super fast, right? in In the <laughs> in the grand scheme of humanity, right? 13 years is a rounding error. Yet our entire world changed dramatically in less than two decades. Dramatically, and the, 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 what's there's good things about that, but there's also bad things. The bad things are that. Right. humans are our so our, our physiology and psychology have not caught up to that rapid change yet and that's why i'm, I'm really excited to share this information with people because once they know the ways and the things that they're doing to themselves that could possibly be negatively impacting their mental health or their relationships or their productivity then they can make some changes that better serve them
1: so speaking of productivity and mental health a lot of people are starting what people would call side gigs, right? We're circling back to side gigs and side hustles. A lot of people like to say.
0: Uh-huh.
1: So I came across this article. It said 22 side gigs that can make you richer than your full time job. I
0: saw that. Yeah. And
1: I sent you the website as well. So, as a person who's done a lot of jobs and has been into various different fields, okay, how many of these side gigs are viable now let me preface before you answer when i think of side gig it's something that you do alongside the full-time job that you have because if it becomes a full-time job it's no longer a side gig right and so
0: how many of these side gigs did you go through all of them so so i didn't look at all of them and i'll explain why i actually okay feel please like go I for it a, i have a i have a different outlook on side gigs than most people And again, Mm -hmm. like, I think part of this is due to my ADHD. I also think part of it is due to me having, you know, uh, three health clubs and four cell phone repair stores. And, you know, it's what I learned, you know, being a franchise owner with multiple units of each franchise is that even if the franchise is the same, right? Like, you know, I had four Fix stores, the franchise is Fix for all four of them. But each one still requires a lot of work, right? And a lot, like you have a different payroll, you have a different bank account, you have different employees, mm-hmm. you have a different physical location, you have a different lease, and so, uh, you know, I what I was thinking the whole time that I owned those is, man, like I would I would do anything if I could just have one big cell phone repair store which had the same amount of employees, the same amount of square footage, the same amount of payroll, but it was just all mashed into one. But that's not right. how those physical businesses work, right? And so, you know, what I learned is that these, all these different businesses, you know, they, they kind of take your attention in different areas. And so, you know, here's the thing that I think about with myself, right. Is what is my, when I'm doing something, what is my return on time? Not my return on uh, money, but what's my return on time. Let's pretend that, you know, I could Make uh let's pretend that if I like you know had no businesses, not even my current business, and I was pretty certain, reasonably certain that I could create a million dollar business within two years. I'm not saying that I could, but let's just say that I was reasonably certain I could calculate what my what my time is worth per hour, assuming that I would be successful in creating this million dollar business. Mm -hmm. Let's just say that it would be my and again, I'm just making this up, right? This isn't this is more just an example let's just say my time we would calculate would be worth like $100 an hour. Well, if my side gig pays me $20 an hour, what's essentially happening is every time I do that side gig for 20 bucks an hour, I'm losing $80 an hour because I really could be putting that time toward this future business, which could be way more valuable. Now, I'm not saying that no one should do a side gig because I absolutely think that there's certain times and instances when it's necessary when you, know, you need to make ends meet or you need to just earn more money and you can't do that at your day job, I do think mm-hmm. as a mm-hmm. temporary period of time, it can be beneficial. But really what you should be asking yourself is, how much time am I taking away from the thing that I'm really passionate about or the thing that I really want to accomplish in this world? And how much more could that thing that I really want to accomplish be worth if I put as much effort as possible into it? That I think is what the calculation that people aren't doing And I think that they're doing themselves a disservice by not thinking about that.
1: I 100% agree because if you're doing something that you love to do, that you want to put 100% of your time and money into, then I think, like you said, you are pulling yourself away from something to go and make like some side money. So instead, take that same amount of time and money, put it back into the business to take, all right, if you're getting another 15 or 20 or 30 bucks here, how about put the necessary resources into what you're doing to make it earn you another $30. So instead of hundred dollars an hour, so we'll continue with your, your example. Now you're earning $130 an hour,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: I saw this and I t- I've thought about the same things, time and money. And out of these twenty-two, I saw five that were viable as side gigs in addition to a regular job, and I categorized them into two things: low maintenance mm-hmm. and hit big. That's exactly what I wrote on my notes.
0: Nice, <laughs> so nice, yeah.
1: You have an online reseller. That's something that you can set up, and it just works itself. You don't have to continue to go back, hopefully. Or at, it's low maintenance, not no maintenance. So mm-hmm. you got to go back a little bit. And then online instructor. So if you make a class for, for like one of those e-courses, yeah, again, you make the class. You got to do a lot of work on the front end because I've researched this as well, being a teacher. You upload it to, you know, Amazon or, or wherever, uh, and um, it makes the money. Right. Mm -hmm. You may want to go back and update some things if you have some new research, but you essentially don't have to do anything else once that happens. Okay. Those are the two that I said low maintenance. And then I have three more that belong in the hit big category. And then you can rebuttal to my list here. So, senior accountant, I think that's what it says. That's what I have written down, where you can go, All right, this is how much I charge for my services. You can come, you can see me, I can help you out. And then it's essentially a one-time thing. And you make your price. Same thing with a consultant and same thing with a curriculum writer. Mm-hmm. Right? You can go, this is my price. It's a thousand dollars. Okay. You come see me, you pay your thousand dollars, I do what you need me to do, and then I'm out. So mm-hmm. there's no extra overhead. There's no extra work that I have to do on the back end. It's essentially a one-time transaction where. As long as you're good, you can continue to, to raise your price. Mm-hmm. And fashion consultant is one that I thought about putting down, but that's something where you have to kind of keep up with the trends. You have to continue to revamp your style and blah, blah, blah. That's maintenance. That's more maintenance. So yeah, I got yeah. senior accountant, consultant, and curriculum writer. Those are my, my hit big side gigs. And then I have online reseller and online instructor. As my low maintenance continue to get paid gigs. What say mm. you, Rob? What do you think?
0: Yeah, well, I like I really like that you broke this down, Tony, and you analyzed this. This is great. This sounds like something that I would do. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, so I actually I actually believe it or not, um I think the first two that you said were the best, but I also think that they have the potential to hit far, hit it big, and here's why. Mm-hmm, the scalability mm-hmm. from the first two in my opinion is much greater than the other ones because so let's just say i have an online uh you know an online business selling pens like this pen just as an example well if i can you know once i get it set up and 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 i want to be clear to people right like setting it up sounds easy but there's more to it than that it's not just
1: Right, right. it's not
0: it's not that easy. If it was like super easy, (laughs) everyone would just do it and sell a million pens, and we'd all be rich. And that doesn't work like that. So, (laughs) I just want to be clear that the setting it up and uh, the mechanics of it is 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 challenging in and of itself. But Mm -hmm. once you have it set up, and once you have a reliable way to sell a lot of pens, if you sell one pen, or you sell a hundred pens, or you sell ten thousand pens, the effort isn't that much greater. And so there's a an ability to scale that business that is way, way greater than the amount of time in, that it takes for you to put in the, the business to scale it, right? So mm-hmm. it's the return on your time, again, is is amazing. The same thing I believe is true with the teaching company where if you, let's say you record an online course and you, you know, you, whatever it's, about, let's just say it's about lawn care. I'm just making it up, right? And, you know, once you record the course, there's very little that you need to do You can sell, you know, whether you sell 10 of them or a million of them, it's basically the same amount of work after that, other than the marketing, which again, is a very substantial portion, but again, almost infinitely scalable and it, but it does just take some upfront work, which is hard. Right. And, and I just want people, you know, one, and one of the things that I just want to make clear to people is there is no free lunch. There is an entrepreneurship. There is no get rich quick scheme. There is no, you know, I just do this one thing for a year and then I'm a millionaire um, it doesn't work like that, at least not, not over a long period of time. And I do think that there's a lot of things out there that people look at where they're just like, Oh yeah, I'm going to try this thing and get rich quick. And you know, then I'll be set for life. And 99 times out of a hundred, it doesn't work like that. And, and I just, you know, there is no substitute for hard work with entrepreneurship,
1: man. I I'm a teacher. So I'm off in the summers. This has been one of my most productive summers Thanks. and it's because I've been working on something that's my own. It's just been my podcast. I put all, I put a ton of work into it. I Hold got it. merch coming and we'll see if that turns into something huge. I told you about my set and my light sign and all this great yeah. stuff, but I've just done so much research and put in so much effort, but I wouldn't do that. If I started some side care, lawn care, you know, business of with something that I have no interest in. You talked about with your ADHD. If it's something that you have no interest in, it's just out the window. You don't care. It's not happening. No, man, I feel the same way. <laughs> A lot of times with with stuff like this, I'm thinking, okay, how much effort is it going to cost me? Do I want to do it? If if those things don't make sense, I'm just not doing it. I don't really care. Like, I'm not gonna say I don't care how much money it will bring in. If it's high effort and it's something i don't want to do i'm just not doing it so that's just kind of where where i've landed cuz so i see these 22 side gigs i'm like nope not doing that nope mm-hmm. not doing that nope not do-. there's so many things i'm like i'm not doing it it's not worth my time because like you said there is no fast track there is no highway to just oh you know what hey man i'm rich so when mm-hmm. i see the clickbait oh easy ways to get rich i'm like you're lying i'm not even going to watch your video
0: right yeah just <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, you know, (laughs) I'm not sure if there's going to be a lot of people that like what I'm about to say, but I I really think that the, uh, you know, that crypto taught a lot of people that, you know, that they, that, and and to be clear, like, you know, I invested in crypto for a short period in late 2017 and I got burned, right? I lost uh, thousands of dollars. And, but I was actually really grateful that I lost that amount of money then instead of like in the last six months. Because I probably would have put way more money in in the last six months if I had not lost money before. But to me, what I think crypto recently taught people is: yes, there are things that you can do and make make a quick buck, but they are not, again, not long term sustainable. And you know, I, I think that it took it probably took a lot of people getting burned by crypto to realize: yeah, things don't always go up forever, and it again, there is no free lunch. And you know, there, I do know a lot of friends who made five figures or more on crypto and, but they just got really lucky. And then they also lost some money recently. And they, you know, I think that they're thinking about it differently. And I, I, it sounds really like bad to say, but I do think it takes people losing money sometimes more than one time in order for them to learn the lesson that, yeah, there isn't a way to get a quick buck and it doesn't work that way forever. And that's just how it is. And, and, and I think that's a, a good lesson that people have to learn sometimes the hard way. And
1: I think the track to go to, if you're trying to figure out how to make more money, I tell my kids this in school, I tell everybody this that I talk to find out what you're passionate about, figure out what kind of lane you can get in as far as that is concerned. So for me, obviously speaking. And teaching is my thing. So I'm a teacher, right? I teach speech class. I have a podcast. And so that's, these are all things that have lined up with who I am. I'm not looking outside of what I do, what I'm passionate about, what I like and trying to go and do that because I'm not going to be able to put my best effort and be my best in those areas. So with that being said, we are going to end here with my three what's, which are the three questions I ask to all of my guests to end the, uh, the podcast. And so our first one, and this may be hard for you because you're in so many, you've been in so many different fields, but we'll go for it. Inside or outside of your field, what's an opinion <laughs> you have that will be considered unpopular? I think you've answered this question a few times over.
0: Oh man, oh there's there's so many that I could say. Um, Rob, you could
1: go as far or as close <laughs> as you want to. You don't have to uh make everybody mad, <laughs> but you you can if you want to though.
0: What's an opinion that I believe like that I think other people will think is unpopular? Yes. Okay. So and I, you know, I characterize it by this, and I, I wrote a blog post on my website about this. I so firmly believe, unfortunately, that social media is the cigarette of the 21st century. I believe this Ah. with every fiber of my being. I think in 20 years, we're going to look at social media and say, what the were we thinking giving (laughs) this to 12 year old kids and letting them have unlimited access to it? I really believe that we're gonna and again, like I'm not saying social media is all bad, like it does good things for you. It can advertise for a business, it can connect you with people, it can promote good messages, it does good things, but a lot of people are not using it in the ways that serve them well, and they're using it probably too much. And it has just become this a very polarizing platform across many different areas that I again I don't think that really it serves humanity well and. I was saying four years ago that I thought social media caused depression and anxiety. We now know that that's 100% true. 100%. It is undeniable. It is irrefutable. We have data from many different sources that say that it's true. And so I, I think that in 20 years, we're going to be like, yeah, we, we, we thought just like at one point, over 50% of doctors in the United States recommended and smoked cigarettes themselves, which again, is totally crazy to think about now. Wow. even 20 years, we are going to think the same thing about social media.
1: Okay. Uh, I'm with you. I do not think social media is the best. <laughs> it's a tool. Okay. It can be used for good stuff. If you weren't doing humans first, which is our website, which we'll talk about here in just a second, what field would you be into? What would you be doing differently?
0: Honestly, I, I would, go, I would, <laughs> I would come back right to technology, mindfulness and all this humans first stuff, because, you know, again, I, with my ADHD, there's so many things that I'm interested in, but my wife brought up something really, really insightful to me, uh, you know, maybe like a year ago, she's like, Rob, you know, since I've met you, you have talked about many different things. You've thought of many different business ideas. You've talked about many different stuff, but all this stuff with technology, mindfulness and humans first, this, you come back to this every time Ever, for the, the entire time I've known you. You've Mm -hmm. come back to it. And for me, that's especially because i get so distracted with other things or interested in other things Mm -hmm. quickly, but I still come back to this. That tells me that this is my calling. Like this is why I am put on this earth is to help people with this. And I just really believe that. And so I I would, I would, I would come back right to this. I I wouldn't, I I couldn't imagine myself doing anything else, honestly.
1: Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. And last question here is what advice this is probably going to be awesome what advice would you give to someone in high school so if i played this for my kids when the when the summer's out everybody's coming back meeting everybody for the first time or second time or seeing my returning kids what advice would you give to those high school kids
0: yeah by the way i should have asked you should have asked you earlier uh can i curse on here or is this supposed to be family friendly (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> here's something that I, I didn't realize for myself into my mid twenties. And I wish I had recognized it when I was five years old. Right. Obviously you probably couldn't at that time, but my advice would be do not give a crap. We'll say, well, sorry, make it more PG. Do not give a crap about what other people think. If you, as soon as you do that, your entire world opens up. As soon as you realize that when you don't give a crap about what other people think about what you look like or what you say or, 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 who you are or what you do, don't, when you realize that you don't give a crap about what other people think about those things in relation to yourself, your entire world opens up and you have unlimited possibilities and you just, you, it's so psychologically freeing and so amazing that, you know, I, I, my entire world really changed when I, when I started to when I, when I truly believe that, when I truly realized that it wasn't, it's not just something you like, say you have to like, actually believe it. Right. And, and so like my wife makes fun of me that I always go around and wear gym shorts everywhere. And it's just like, I just don't give a crap about what other people think. <laughs> I don't even care if we're at a fancy restaurant in Chicago, F all these people. Like that's too bad. If they don't <laughs> like it, it's their problem. It's not my problem. And I just don't care. And, uh, I really think that that served me well.
1: One hundred percent agree, man. I could not agree more because, at the end of the day, like you have to live with you. And my buddy I was talking to yesterday, uh, CJ, she was on. Ah, man, she was on one of my episodes earlier, but uh, we just talked about, hey, man, like you got to live for you. Like you can't really go around caring about what people think. Like now, you want to treat people well, you want to be nice to people. You want to be kind, but when it comes to like the things that you like to do and who you are and what you want to be, like, it doesn't really matter. Like what most, like 95% of people. Now there is a small percentage of people where you do give them license to go, okay, eh, yeah, maybe yes or no, because those people's opinions matter. They've shown value in your life. Those are people that you trust. Like I care about what my wife thinks for most, most of the time. You know, those are the people and you will ask them, you consult with those people. So you don't have to worry about if they uh, care or if they have your best interest at heart. And even with those people, there is a little bit of gray area where you got to go, Hey, you know what? I don't really care. I'm going for it. So, but 95% of people is like, Oh, (laughs) who cares?
0: Well, and I I understand exactly what you're saying, Tony. It's not that I don't uh, listen to other people or that I don't respect them or I don't value their opinion. I absolutely do respect them and value their opinion. And I, I want to hear what they have to say, but I just don't care about what they think about me. Like, you know, like if they don't, you know, know if they don't get to know me or whatever, even if they do know me, it's like, I'm not, I'm not ever thinking like, Oh, I wonder you know, like, is this going to, what are people going to think of if I do this or say this? I'm just like, that. just, those thoughts just don't enter my mind. Cause I just don't, I just don't care. And, yep. Yep. um, w- one thing that you said though, w- was interesting that made me think about, um, so the, Jonathan Haidt, he wrote this book, the happiness hypothesis. It's so fascinating. And one of the things that he says in the book is when we have coherence or alignment between who we are, what we do and the story we tell ourselves, that's when we are most happy. And mm. so that to me is really interesting. Right. And, and so if you don't care much about what other people think, the having alignment or coherence among those three things becomes much easier and you become much happier. It's really cool. Man.
1: Rob, you know what? That is the perfect, perfect spot to end it. I mean, that's something that's like, you know, one of those things I got to share on social media. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, put it on there, man. I mean, it's it's fine. It's good.
1: Now, Rob, tell people where they can find you, uh talk about your website, what you do as we get out of here.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Tony. Well, again, my name is Rob Krutchek and I help people with technology mindfulness and I also do consulting to officially guide companies for uh to a 4-day work week with no loss in productivity or profitability. And so If people want to learn more about those services or or to work with me, they can go to humansfirst.us. Another thing that I just wanted to offer the listeners today, Tony, is a free 30-minute technology mindfulness conversation and a consultation with me. And so all people need to do to redeem that is just email me. My email address is rob at humansfirst.us. It's rob at humansfirst.us. And then just mention this podcast, and I'll be happy to set up a 30-minute call with you to chat about your technology mindfulness so happy to do that
1: excellent rob thank you for coming on the show i mean this conversation was awesome we definitely have to do it again and uh you know what you know signing off you know for rob i'm tony rambles of the living numbers podcast um make sure you guys come back for the next episode where we'll have another amazing guest we'll see you all in the next ramble